So we're going to remember this story that starts in Jerusalem here but ends up on the cross. And we're going to remember that today on Palm Sunday. I appreciate your participation. We begin. It was two days before the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The chief priests and the scribes were, they were looking for a way to arrest Jesus by stealth and to kill him. For they said, Not, not during the festival, or there may be a riot among the people. While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of a very costly ointment of nard, and she broke open the jar and poured the ointment on his head. But some who were there said to one another in anger, Why was the ointment wasted in this way? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii, and the money given to the poor. They scolded her, but Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has performed a good service for me. For you always have the poor with you, and you can show kindness to them whenever you wish. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for its burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, he went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. When they heard it, they were greatly pleased, and they promised to give him money. So he began to look for an opportunity to betray him. On the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrifices, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. So the disciples set out, and they went to the city, and they found everything as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover meal. When it was evening, he came with the twelve. And when they had taken their places and were eating, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be distressed, and they said to him one after another, Surely not I. He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the bowl with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to, the, to that one by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that one not to have been born. While they were eating, he took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to them, and he said, Take, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, and all of them drank from it. He said to them, this is the blood of my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I tell you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung the hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all become deserters, for it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, 
Even though all become deserters, I will not. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this day, this very night, before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said vehemently, Even though I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all of them said the same. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took with him Peter and James and John. He began to be distressed and agitated. He said to them, I am deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and keep awake. And going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass for him. He said, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I want, but what you want. He came and he found them sleeping. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep awake one hour? Keep awake and pray that you may not come into this time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away and he prayed, saying the same words. And once more he came and he found them sleeping. For their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to say to him. He came to him a third time. He said, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let's be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. And with him there was a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. So when he came, he went up to Jesus at once and he said, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Then they laid hands on him and arrested him. But one of those who stood near drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Then Jesus said to them, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as though I were a bandit? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you didn't arrest me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. All of them deserted him and fled. A certain young man was following him, wearing nothing but a linen cloth. They caught hold of him, but he left the linen cloth and he ran off naked. They took Jesus to the high priest and all of the chief priests, the elders and the scribes, they were assembled. Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards, warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were looking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death. They found none. For many gave false testimony against him, and their testimony did not agree. Some stood up and gave false testimony against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. But even on this point, their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, have you no answer? What is it that they testify against you? But he was silent 
and did not answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and he said, Why do we still need witnesses? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? All of them condemned him as deserving death. Some began to spit on him. They blindfolded him and struck him, saying to him, Prophesy. The guards also took him over and beat him. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she stared at him and she said, You also are with Jesus, the man from Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I do not know or understand what you are talking about. And he went out into the forecourt, then the cock crowed. The servant girl on seeing him began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to curse and even swore an oath. I do not know this man you are talking about. At that moment, the cock crowed for the second time. Then Peter remembered that Jesus had told him, before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. He broke down and he wept. As soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered him, You say so. Then the chief priests accused him of many things. Pilate asked him again, Have you no answer? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further reply, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the festival, he used to release a prisoner for them, anyone for whom they asked. Now a man called Barabbas was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder during the insurrection. So the crowd came and began to ask Pilate to do for them according to his custom. He answered them, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he realized it was out of jealousy that the chief priest had handed him over. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release Barabbas for them instead. Pilate spoke to them again. Then what do you wish me to do with the man that you call the king of Jews? They shouted back, Crucify him! Pilate asked them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released Barabbas for them. And after flogging Jesus, he handed him over to be crucified. Then the soldiers led him into the courtyard of the palace, And they called together the whole cohort. They clothed him in a purple cloak. They twisted some thorns into a crown. They put it on him. And they began saluting him. Hail, King of the Jews! They struck his head with a reed. They spat on him. They knelt down in homage to him. After mocking him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put on his own clothes. Then they led him out to crucify him. 
They compelled a bystander who was coming in from the country to carry his cross. It was Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Then they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha. They offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. They divided his clothes among them, casting lots to decide what each would take. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. With him they crucified two bandits, one on his right, one on his left. Those who passed by derided him, shaking their heads and saying, Aha! You who would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests, along with the scribes, were also mocking him among themselves, and they said, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross now, so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also taunted him. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. At three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, Listen, he's calling for Elijah. And someone ran. They filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a stick, and they gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let's see whether Elijah will come down and take him. Then Jesus, he gave a loud cry, and he breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now when the centurion who had stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was God's son. There were also women looking on from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph and of Salome. These used to follow him and they provided for him when he was in Galilee. And there were many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem. When evening had come, And since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself waiting expectantly for the kingdom of God, he went boldly to Pilate. He asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate wondered if he were already dead, and summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he had been dead for some time. When he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the body to Joseph. Then Joseph bought a linen cloth, and taking down the body, he wrapped it in the linen cloth. He laid it in a tomb that had been hewn out of the rock. Then he rolled the stone against the door of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where the body was laid. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Amen.
processions. Today, whether you knew it or not, today each one here participated in what we've called a sermon walking. Think about what you've done today and how the orders were. Can you remember what came first? What was first in the, in the line of procession? Light. What came second? Okay, the third? The Bible. Fourth? Pastor. Fifth? The people. And what did the people do? What did you come in with? And where did you lay your palm branch? All right. That in many ways is a sermon walking. Instead of talking about it, instead of learning about it, reading about it, studying about everything, today you lived and acted out a sermon message. We're going to talk about that for just a little while. The first thing in the order was a candle. Light coming in. We know as Christians, the Jewish people know this way, we're Judeo-Christians, that in the beginning there was God. And God was light. He is life and light. In the beginning, we have two candles up here. Well, I actually have three, but these two. This candle, a lot of times we call this candle on this side the alpha candle. Not just a cute little decoration. It's when we light this, remember that in the beginning, there was God. There was nothing else for us. Before there was creation, everything that we've seen and everything we can't see, before that was, there was God. He was in the beginning. And long after our creation goes, long after the heaven and earth pass and there's a new heaven and a new earth, we're going to have God as the the omega. We have an alpha and omega. God is the beginning and the end. And that person brings light in and he lights or she lights those candles. God is the alpha and the omega. And then we also light the Christ candle. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But on the the alpha and omega candle, that's the first thing that we process in to light up. And as we do that, the message is this, light wins. The only time there's darkness is when there's an absence of light. In creation, as soon as there's light, by default, there's darkness where there is no light, if there's such a place. So for us, light wins. That light shines in the darkness and the darkness has overcome it. That's all these things can swirl in our heads as we're thinking about a simple light coming into a building. We remember that life wins. Then Jesus' death is defeated. Easter comes. The last message is not Good Friday. The last message is Easter morning. Life wins. And we remember that love wins. The entire summation of all the ugliness and sin of the world heaped did not destroy Jesus' capacity to love. Love wins. In that procession of light, we're remembering all these things. Light wins. Life wins. Love wins. There's another part of that in that procession. In that procession, we're giving honor. We're not just remembering, we're kind of celebrating. The song that we sing, it wasn't a, no, 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 no. It wasn't a dirge and some death march. It was a celebration. All glory, laud, and honor to you, Redeemer King. We're celebrating this light. We move. We hold our branches high. Some are really swinging those branches up there, right? This is a big statement. Love wins. God wins. And we follow that. We're celebrating that good news. And we're not going to kind of keep it small and kind of quiet. This is a day to have fun and celebrate who God is. The procession, a joyful place, palm branches waving. Another part to this procession, second part, is who was the one in, in the old churches? Old churches. I mean, for you remember, I don't know who's in the history of the churches. Who are the people that generally serve as acolytes? How would you describe them? 
are they six foot six, burly and strong guys, or are they like five foot three children? Children. Now, why is it that the church would have children do that work? There's a lesson in that. Think about it. Why is it? Symbolically, what we do on Sundays matters. The children, the first one in line, carrying the light is the least. In the biblical times, they didn't even already pay attention to children until they got old enough they could sell them off or work them. The least will be first, right? The last will be first. The leader of our procession is a child, a little child. And they're carrying into the midst of a dark building the light of God, the least, the servant. It's beautiful. And then not only that, it goes into our baptism, this link with this this candle. When you were baptized, when we have baptisms here, and I'm standing over here and we're by this font and by that thing, after we put water in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, then after that we take oil and we anoint their foreheads right here with a cross. In the old churches, old churches, we anoint their hands and their feet, their eyes, their ears, their mouth, their heart, their forehead for their thoughts. We anointed them that they be completely filled with the God spirits, all those anointings. And we did that. And then right after that, what's presented? A candle. It's a lit candle. We take light from the Christ candle, we apply it to this little light, and then we present that to the Godfather or the parents, and we say, let your light, we got to teach the young ones, because like when you were born and you were baptized, you didn't know what was going on, they're doing it, but they make promises and they raise you to know it, your confirmation. So we gave the light to your mom or your dad, and we gave in Matthew chapter five, let your light shine before others, let your light so shine before others that they will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You, the baptized children of God, you've received God in your baptism. The Holy Spirit is in you. And you are anointed by that Spirit and with that Spirit on behalf of Jesus himself to be the light to the world. When the world sees you, they're to see Jesus. Church, that's what we are. We're the living body of Christ. You are to be a temple for that Holy Spirit. That's why we're to conduct ourselves in holiness. If you're the temple of God, you do not defile God's body with sinful behaviors. Holiness matters. And you're blessed with that. Let your light so shine. What a beautiful thing. And the babies are often baptized. The least, the least are now carrying the light. That procession has a lot going on. We remember that that procession. It's not for high church talk about this in the early one a lot of times people think processions are just for big churches and cathedral churches with all this fancy stuff going on absolutely not well they can do that too processions were just people like us following the light we will remember we will be sermons walking it goes on the next thing in that line was a cross that procession and the cross the teaching of that has two parts for us the first part is obviously jesus He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And what was his way? It was a cross. He he says, unless you pick up your cross and follow me, you're not part of me. That's the other part, the people. So in this, Jesus was born. We remember that. When we process with the cross, we enter into the world. Jesus entered the world with one purpose, to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's why he came. That's it. 
to love, to show us the way and his truth and his life. The cross is why he came. That procession with the cross, that's a declaration. Not only what his purpose was, but then what our purpose is, because that's who we're baptized into. We are to follow the way of the cross. We're not to strive to be first and to have the most. He says, be the least, be the servant. If you're puffed up and getting recognized, you're probably looking the wrong ways. Be humble and small. The king of all creation didn't own a house. He didn't own stuff. He washed our feet. He died for us. Be that church. So we follow that cross. Our actions. We pick up our cross and we're following him. He, so first comes the light, next comes the cross. And then we celebrate. Again, the, the procession. It wasn't sad. It wasn't defeated. It's like, wow, look how much he loves us. There's the cross, and he did that for us, and we're following. It's an exciting, it's a, it's a beautiful piece. Beautiful piece. And then after that, we had the Bible possessed. By the way, that's a new Bible for us. It was just received. We have now our, our sanctuary official worshiping Bible, a big Bible. When you hold on to that, it's substantial. It's not weak and small. It's big, big font for tie, tired old eyes. But we can hold that up and be proud with it. So that's a very new Bible. It was first time using worship today cool thing this bible anyway in this bible we hold it up again who held it up today one of our younger ones right it wasn't the strongest and the champion who carried the cross the candle or the bible it was our lowest being the greatest bringing the word in what a beautiful thing this is so the bible comes in as we hold that bible we remember as a people that when god spoke there were heavens and earth he created. When God spoke, there was light and life. When he spoke, it inspired people. And we were created in his image and his likeness. That's the truth in the scriptures. The devil would love for you to think that you're small and you're insignificant and you need to have something to be something. Or you need to look like somebody to be somebody. You need to accomplish some great thing so that you have value and worth. That's the lies of the evil one. The scriptures will tell you that you're made in God's image and his likeness and you are beautiful. You are beautiful in his sight. And don't let the liar tell you otherwise. You have value whether you sin or you don't sin. You have value, period. Jesus died for you. To believe anything other than that's a lie. And we hold that scripture up for that because that's our truth. There are messages in the world that always want us to tell something different than that. The liar in this world wants us to forget that Bible. The Bible, the liar in the world wants us to adjust that Bible to our taste and to vote and democratically decide what's good or what's not good. That's not our choice. The God of creation gave us his word and that word is now in that Bible. And if the Bible says yes, it's yes. And if it's no, it's no. And we love our God so much that it's like, Lord, if you say yes, it's yes. And Lord, if you say no, it's no. I love you. So we hold that Bible up. His word given to us from generation to generation. To, that word's been given back 3,000 years. Given in some ways, it's written thing, the tablets written down. Moses had it. It was passed on to Joshua as he goes into this land. God's command was him is just look at this word morning, noon, and night. Pray. Keep your, that's your business. Do that. I'll cover the rest of it, Joshua. Wherever you step, I'm giving it to you. I got the big stuff. You keep the most important stuff, the scriptures. It was passed on generation to generation. One of the best gifts that grandparents can give to grandchildren is a Bible with their name on it, with their whole family histories written in it. This is the family who gave you this word. And it was given to us by this family and this family and this family. The legacy, a procession of God's word. 
read from that for God's people. It's a beautiful thing. Not just the Old Testament, then the New Testament. Again, remember that Jesus, God, the Word, in John 1, in the beginning was the Word of God, and the, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and was God. He was in the beginning with God. Through Him, all things came into being. Without Him, not one thing came into being. And in Him was life, and the life was the light of all people, and the darkness does not overcome it. We remember that, and that John, perp, that thing, God became Word, He became flesh. It's all mixed and swollen as mystery for us, and we hold that high. This is the truth. Anything that contradicts that's a lie. We just put it aside. We follow that Bible. That's the path of heaven. Anything other than that could be a distraction. Anything other than that. So we hold this up. Jesus. So it starts off with a candle, the light of the world. Then it comes the cross, the way of service and love, the way of the heaven. And then it comes literally the written word of God for us as people to hold on to. Luther came back to that, only the word. If traditions contradict the word, go with the word. If your lifestyles contradict the word, go with the word. Submit to who God is in his word. We hold the Bible up. The next thing in that order was a pastor person. Now for the modern world, this part, it's really lost its beauty. It just has. It's lost its beauty. Sin has robbed and replaced a beautiful expression of, of the church in that procession order with the pastor person, and not Jeff, just the pastor person coming in. And think about this. Jesus called his disciples to follow him. He called them. Specifically, he called them. They did. They followed. For three years, he instructed them. Three years. He prepared these disciples for what their mission was to be. They watched him. They listened to him. They saw everything that was going on. They saw the miracles. They kind of grew in their faith and the maturity about where the value was and where the value wasn't. Three years they did that. Not perfectly. Clearly, if you read the gospel book of Mark, you're going to see how disappointing they've always been. They're always saying the wrong things, believing the wrong. They're just, they're just, but they're still his. That's what he's got to work with. Those are his disciples. So they follow in their learning. Then he empowers them. After his resurrection, he empowers them. This is another cool thing. Remember the baptism. And when they're hiding in that little upper room, he breathes on them. He pours out the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit himself. He pours that out into them. Into them. Their bodies have now received God. Temples. Holiness restored. Life restored. He breathes out onto these guys. And then after that, he sends them. Just before he ascends, he ascends them. The last thing he says in Matthew is, go make disciples of all nations. You will baptize them in the Father, Son, and Holy, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You will teach them to obey everything I've commanded. So baptize, teach. And remember, I'm with you to the end of the age. Right? Make disciples. That's what they go out and to do. They were to be. And they were empowered to be with the Holy Spirit of God to be Jesus' hands. He's ascended into heaven. Who's going to be his hands in the world? It starts with his disciples. Who's going to share the good message? Who's going to share the good news, the law and the gospel to the people, the apostles? Who's going to embrace the ones who are broken down and hurting? Who's going to raise up the lonely? Who's going to travel to where they are at their feet? Who's going to be Jesus to the world? These apostles were to be the church, Jesus to the world. That was in order. God came down, he took flesh, and he gave it to the apostles to give away, to give away, to give away. There's a holy movement of this, if you will. 
Think, and here's something else. And this is a little addition piece. In the ancient church, there was such a celebration of the good news. In the ancient church, there was such a celebration of apostles coming to their town. Imagine St. James or Peter comes to your town and he's sharing you everything he saw and everything he experienced when he walked with Jesus. The stories that Peter could share and the lessons he could give, not just that, the energy of God that moved through Peter that could tell people to be healed, tell people the, the truth, that Peter was in the town and he had his cross. He, were, he wore his cross. He remembered who his Lord did and what his Lord did for him. So he hold that cross and when he was done teaching at the end of the service, it became a custom of the church and to this day in the ancient Orthodox church, the Orthodox church, what they do at the end of a worship service is that the people in gratitude for their Lord will come up and they will kiss the cross in the hand of their priest. And as soon as they're done kissing the cross, they kiss the hand and then they leave. They're not kissing the man. They're not, regardless of the name of the person under the robe. They're so grateful that God is working through that person to tell them the good news and to preside over the sacraments and to do that in Jesus' hand. They see Jesus in that person So they kiss the cross, thank you, Lord, and they kiss the hand, thank you, Jesus, because inside this man you're working. We see you in him. Thank you. They reverence that. It's a beautiful, tender thing. It's not a have to. It's not an arrogant pride thing. Humans have wrecked it. I get that. But for the ancients, there was a love and a respect for that office of whoever Jesus called and whoever Jesus sent. And they kissed the Lord and they kissed the hand that brought them good news. The pastor comes in that order. I'm just a sent person reminding you of Jesus. I'm only here because he's done that, which is part of the Lutheran things. When, I made, when, when the church called and said, Jeff, will you be a pastor? And I reluctantly in the beginning said, okay. When I made vows three years later after the studies of seminary, four years later, the vows I took were this, that I will present the law and the gospel. I will hold up God's word. I will not adjust it to taste. I will not modify it to comfort. I will say what it needs what it needs to be said, whether the people want to hear it or not. Whether you like to hear what the Bible says or not, it's not for me to decide. I am compelled by my vow to tell you what the Bible says, whether you kill me or not. That's my first vow. My second vow is to administer the sacraments, the baptisms, the Holy Communion, the, the way that God comes to us physically and spiritually in baptism, in the sacraments. I'm to administer that on his behalf. I'm entrusted with that treasure, if you will. The next part, those, I'm to preside at worship, I'm to teach, I'm to pray, and I'm to accompany the people. In your joyful days, when you're having babies and having birthdays, amen, let's be there and party. And on the other days, when we're saying goodbye to our loved ones and we're fighting cancers and our bodies are wrecked and ravaged with illnesses, I'll be there too, best I can. It won't be perfect, I'll do my best. But that's my vow. And the last thing is and then to go into the world and let everybody know the good news. That's my vows, your pastor. So in that procession, we start off with the light of God. And then we came in with the cross of Christ. Then we come in with the word of God. And then you have this lowly little ambassador, whoever's serving in that office at that time, and is an ambassador for Jesus, like a little icon, if you will, of Jesus. And it processes in, into the church. Now, what's the last piece? People. Yeah, this is great. I love this part. From, the, from, from power and love, God created you. You're his church. You're his people. You're his children. Parents, how, li- how is it to be home 
all alone, but not even your spouse. That's horrible. That's no fun. I hate being alone. And then when my boys are gone, at least I got my wife. And then sometimes even better, I got all three sons. Even more than that, I can have parents and grandparents and all that. The more full the house is, the more beautiful it is. This, he created us. That's something in God in us. We want to come together. We want to be in his presence. We want all of his people home, right? We, we huddle together, this people. He loves us. He made us for this reason, to be together with him. In the garden, that's where we were, together with him. We're not separated. We were walking with him. Heck, we didn't have clothes on. We didn't even care. We wouldn't even know we're naked. We were just with God. It was beautiful. That's the way it's made to be. We process in in a crowd. What are we doing? We are following the light. We're following the cross. We're following the word. We're following the, a servant of God as a people of God. In procession, we are a sermon walking with that very statement. Today, we carried palm branches. You laid them at the cross saying, God, you made peace with me. This palm branch is a symbol of the peace. I'm not at war with you. Jesus took it. He won it. Now, because of Jesus, we have peace in our house and peace between us. And I celebrate that peace and I give thanks and I lay it at the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did. Laid at the cross. So this procession then with people, we are remembering. Today, we remember the Bible lessons. We're remembering these parts. We are remembering. We are participating with people for thousands of years. They processed into Jerusalem. They processed out of Egypt through the wilderness. There's always been processions. God first, people second. Where God goes, we follow. That's the call. That's the sermon walking. That's an example. So we're processing. We're celebrating. We're singing. And um, we're accompanied by God himself. Where we are, he is. He is in our midst. Now, in the old world, the procession just didn't come in. Again, we, the last thing that the pastor does is you stand there, the priest will do stand there. They'll kiss the cross, say thank you. They'll kiss the hand, say thank you. And then boom, they go out in the world. The procession just doesn't come in. The procession goes out. Ideally, whatever comes in, processes in, and processes out. The light will go out first, and then the cross, then the Bible, then the pastor person, the priest person, and then the people of God. Because in us, all of us, God is to be the light to the world. In that world, there darkness exists where there's no God. We're to be that. So as much as we bring it in, we celebrate it here, then we take it out to the world. So that when they see us, they see Jesus. In fact, they see Jesus in so much that they just want to give us a great big hus and a kiss on the cheek and say, thank you. They don't even know why, but they something in us. They said, wow, this person loves and this one cares. And they don't even know me. I mean, being the light to the world, we process that out. So in here, again, we remember every Sunday, we remember who our Lord is and we get close. We know him. We are a family huddling together. We know our Lord. And then when we come out of here and we go on our ways, we make him known. That's it. It's that simple. Know Jesus closely. Be forgiven be healed, be empowered to wage your war against the sin and be empowered to be joyful lights of the world. Know him. And then from here, go back to your world, to your friends, your family, your neighbors, your community, the strangers that you meet in the week and let him be known in everything you say and everything you do. Be sermons walking. Amen.